0: we're going to be looking at the first five verses of John chapter 17 and that's on page 1085 1085 in our Pew Bibles <coughs> after Jesus said this he looked towards heaven and prayed father the hour has come glorify your son I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. Um,
1: we're going to be thinking a little bit about prayer. Whether you can see these slides is another matter. Um, uh But before we do, let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? (coughs) Our God, our Father, we do thank you for tonight. Thank you that we can be here together. Thank you that we can study your word. Thank you that we can um, hear from you. And we pray, Father, that your spirit be at work amongst us, helping to see Jesus more clearly, that he may affect us in our prayer and in our, our lives for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a series of uh, uh, three questions, and here's the first question. She'll have to look at this one, or that one. Um, is, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Why do you pray? Um, verse 1, if you have it there, says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now, Jesus here is doing something uh, uh, amazing, really. Um, it's, it's, once you once you start to see it, it's just truly amazing. Jesus uses the word hour, lots and lots in uh, John. You see it all the way through, the hour. And it's always referring to his death. So He says that quite often the hour hasn't come, but now he's <laughs> saying the hour has come. And effectively what Jesus is saying, Father... He's saying, in a sense, send me to my death. Send me to my death. Now is my time, now is my hour. It has come. It's an extraordinary thing to say, isn't it? Now, this tells us, I think, something about why Jesus prays, um, in contrast, I think, with why we often pray. You see, we pray... (coughs) at least I think there's certainly, uh, I know this for myself. You see, when we pray, uh, we pray for things that seem uh, uncertain, don't they? Or somehow in doubt. We bring them to God. When we view things as certain, when we see God's will, we often say, well, why bother to pray? Um, God's will, willed it, it, it it's going to happen. Why bother uh, at all? Because we know it's going to happen. And of course that's quite different here from Jesus. Jesus comes to his hour the cross and he knows it will happen and he has known that it's going to happen for a long time and he starts to pray. See how that's completely the reverse of how we come to prayer? Jesus prays when things are certain. When things aren't in doubt. Now what's going on here? What's the difference between us and and Jesus and how we pray? I I recall um, when uh, I've just had a child, haven't I? But uh, certainly I was recalling, thinking back, um, over the the times when, when the children had been born and uh, how at the time you get bombarded with lots of forms that you need to fill in you've got to register them uh, and you need to register them for all kinds of things like tax credits and um, family allowance and all these sorts of things child benefit and this that and the other um, in order to get some money out of the government that's what you have to do um, and of course we really need this and um, You know how the cost of bringing up a child. Uh, And the forms ask you very specific and personal questions, and so you fill them off and and you send them off, don't you? But but just for a moment, imagine if uh, I received a phone call from the person who assesses the forms, a person who processes the forms, who says, I want to see you. And I reply, of course, is that going to affect my chances of getting the money? That's how I would respond, isn't it? Is this phone call going to affect that? No, they reply, I just want to be friends to get to know you better. So I respond, this isn't exactly why I sent the forms off in the first place. This isn't my request, is it? I didn't know this was going to happen. That's not what I was after. Can you see where I'm trying to go with this? Of course, we are told in the New Testament to, to put in requests, aren't we? And to petition God. But our way of praying tends to start by us sending in applications. From us sending in to be assessed and processed for child benefit, as it were, to get a benefit from God, for financial aid, for help, as it were. We pray when we want something, is the truth, isn't it? When things are in doubt or seem uncertain to us, we pray so that God will know what we need. Now, of course, that's not wrong, but Jesus here is the complete opposite. He's just about to go to the, the cross. He goes to the Father Uh, to comply though with God's agenda and what he's doing to glorify God he says I want to glorify you in the cross even in that I want to glorify you even in my death I want to know you to serve you to love you to be close to you and to do what you will so when Jesus sees the cross something as awful as the cross he starts to to pray because for him the purpose of prayer is to glorify God by opening his heart to God and of course our purpose often is to send in the application hoping that somehow it will be processed it tends to be impersonal a little bit cold and dry very transactional in the way that we approach God but God just wants to get to know us and so often we turn around and say, well, what's the good of that, is what we say, isn't it? Yeah, I, I wonder if you go ever go hill-walking, um, if you've ever been hill-walking. Why do people, thousands of people, millions of people go hill-walking? Why do you go hill-walking? The reason is because you get a fabulous view. What do you do? You get perspective on everything around you. You seek security away from work and things. To look out and see the scale and the majesty of God's creation. And prayer, I suppose, is similar to that, isn't it? It's sort of thrilling over God and his perspective. Sensing his security that he is big and he's got things, he's got us. Sensing and being overwhelmed and filled, I suppose, with the glory of it. Just reveling in God's Glory. Is that why we pray? That's why Jesus prayed for the glory of God. So that's the first question and answer. What about the second question and answer? What do we pray for? What do we pray for? And the answer, I think, here is to see the glory of God. Look at verse 5. It says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before in a sense the whole of chapter 17 is you do get all the requests in the rest of chapter 17 and we'll come to those over the the next couple of weeks there's protection there's unity there's holiness there's truth there's praying for witness in the world there's all sorts of things but what did Jesus pray for first? Well, he prays for glory. Now, we have, a, uh, have to be very careful at this point when we're reading this. Um, in one sense, Jesus is praying for something you and I should never pray for. Um, Father, he's saying, I'm ready to be the saviour of the world. I suggest that none of us pray that prayer. You might need to see somebody if you, you, you do. Um. But in another sense, and in a more general sense, um, we can and we should pray for glory. Many prayers in the Bible start with a sight of his glory, and we could list them now. But perhaps the most famous example is found in Exodus, where Moses, who has all kinds of needs, doesn't he? He's got these people that don't seem to do what God wants, and all that that leads to. Uh, He has requests he could bring to God, but what does he do? He actually asks to see God's glory, doesn't he? That's the first thing that he asks for. He prays, now show me your glory. Exodus 33, you can go and have a look at it. The priority in prayer should be to see God's glory. But what in the world is that? That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Well, just take a moment to turn with me to, if you have a Bible, to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 18. And I'll just have a look at this very briefly here. It's so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. In the NIV, it's not exactly a helpful translation. It's a very awkward um, verse, this, in verse 18 to translate. Um, what it essentially says, it says, and you can see it there. And we who gaze on the Lord's glory, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, who is the Spirit. It's quite a difficult verse to translate. But it is a sense of we who gaze on the Lord, on the Lord Jesus. As you gaze on the Lord Jesus, who behold him, who contemplate, or as you can see in the, in the footnote, who reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. We're being transformed into his likeness. Now, what's this got to do with glory? The sense is, here, is as if to look into a mirror. And you can see the, the, the man there looking into the mirror. It's really to gaze into, into a mirror. Now, the way you and I look into a mirror, I, I'm sure you all look into a mirror. you know. And um, if you ever look into a mirror and you think about what you're doing, you often look, aren't you, for, for details, for the, the grey hair or the, the slight wrinkle or the, whatever it is. I, is the, do I need a haircut? And I know I need a haircut. Hannah keeps telling me I need a haircut. Um, if you were to look at a person, say the person next to you, in the same way that you look into a mirror... They might just clobber you, mightn't you? Because it's quite an intense thing that you're doing looking into a, into a mirror. Don't suggest you do that, as an example. That um, uh, you would soon, they might hit you, or at least they would look away. You see, the thing is, when you look into a mirror, you're poring over every detail, aren't you? You're pouring over every hair, examining every detail, every aspect. Now, to look at Jesus with this word, this gaze, this, this reflection, to look at, the, at Christ like that is to gaze, is to look, is to reflect on the glory like that. Um, it's in a sense all embracing is, is, is an intense looking at, at, at Christ. To gaze into his glories, to see his glory, his beauty, his holiness, is the way you grow, you and I grow as Christians. Jesus never says the way you grow is by trying to a bit harder, by pulling up your socks, by, behaving, um, by having another go. The heart of how you and I grow as Christians is to pour over the glory of Christ. Like you are looking intently into a mirror, like you would look into a mirror. That's what it is about. The heart of how you and I will grow is to gaze into that glory of Christ. It means to go beyond just believing in God, up here, beyond that. Beyond believing that God is love and God is holy and just and patient and compassionate. which He all is those things. But to gaze on it and the gaze on the glory of it instead the sheer magnificence and weight and splendour of it, and therefore be fascinated by it, be exhilarated by it, be totally gripped by it and enthralled by it. That's what it's about. If you say, "I, I believe in a loving, holy, wise God, going to God in prayer isn't about needing to believe these things more but it's about seeing the glory of these things in a kind of personal, intimate way, like looking into a mirror. Yes? See, we say, try and put some meat on the bones to this. So we say we believe in the wisdom of God and the love of God, but we're worried and we're anxious about something then in a sense the love of God and the wisdom of God are not helping or affecting us because we're not actually seeing the glory of it just the sheer size of the wisdom and love of God you've not come under the depth of it the weight of it hasn't hit home as we think about that though we also need to realise that If we're not under the glory of Christ, we're under the glory of something else. If it's not Christ, it will be something else in our life. In a sense, Paul is saying, you will be transformed into the glory of whatever is most weighty to you. And it says, whatever mirror you look into, you'll be turned into that thing. Whatever is the most important to you, You will reflect that if you're not gazing into Christ. So for example, you can use loads of different examples. this. If you're perhaps upset because you've fallen in love with somebody and you have perhaps for years and years, you've loved someone and you're desperate for them to love you back, but unfortunately they don't love you back. That someone is basically saying to you, I can make you. I can give you glory. And of course, you sit there and as you hear that, they, you're saying, you're right. If only I have you, you can make me something. And therefore, that person has more glory to you than the love of God. God. You're just substituting something else in. It's a different mirror. You see, all kinds of dissatisfactions, uh, anxieties, worries, hurts, come from something else other than God standing in front of you and saying, I can make you, I can show you. And when that happens, we have to step back, don't we? We need to step back and say, oh no, no you don't. You don't make me that boyfriend or that girlfriend that I longed for, I've always wanted, that does not completely, that does not make me, that is not going to complete me. I have the love of Jesus and I'm looking into the love of Jesus intently and he's the one who makes me, he's the one who I identify with. Nothing can compare to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. I don't need these other things. See, when you, can, when you can't handle stuff, whatever stuff is in your life, it's often because we're not looking at the glory of God. You believe it, but you don't see it. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, hasn't pounded our hearts with just the, the magnitude and the weight and the, the depth of the glory of God. We're not overwhelmed by it. So Jesus shows us what to pray for to see the glory of God. And so finally, let's just take a moment on to think another question. How do we do this? Because that, I reckon, can sound pretty abstract in some ways, can't it? Well, see, Jesus, how does that, what does that look like? How do we see this? We gaze into Jesus, and the way we, I think I want to encourage you to do this is through the story of salvation. And the story of salvation is right there in these first few verses. In verse 2, For you granted him authority over all people, that you might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you send. There's gospel there, isn't it? in the story of salvation. Now, if you try and gaze on the glory of God in a kind of abstract way, you know, you just sort of kind of sit in a room, just kind of, you could go off in all sorts of directions, couldn't you? That perhaps might not be very helpful. Or if you try to do it in a really theoretical way, um, it won't help you. You'll actually just become really frustrated by it. So what can we do? We start by gazing at Jesus through his salvation plan. Through salvation, the story of salvation. Jesus had to come to earth. Sent by the Father. That's the plan of salvation. But why did he come to earth? We decided, didn't we, to live for our own glory, not for God's glory. We decided to go our own way. To try and be our own saviour and king And the relationship between us and God was broken. And the only way to restore this was for Jesus to lose his glory, to lose his relationship with the Father and become like one of us. So the first place he lost his glory was through his incarnation when he became a man. He, in a sense, became vulnerable, didn't he? Becoming a human being meant that you could walk up to him, you could hit him around the face. You could even spit on Jesus, couldn't you? And of course, people did that. And that's what they did. And eventually killed him on a cross. But on the cross, Jesus wasn't just physically killed. (laughs) On the cross, Jesus cried. Those famous words that we'll be remembering a lot over these next few weeks. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's the only time in the whole of the New Testament that Jesus didn't call his father, Father. It's the only time. Right at the cross, he says, My God, what's going on there? Because in a sense, the Father is turning away his face. He's no longer his Father. Because in a sense, he was turning away, and at that place on the cross, He's being stripped of his glory. Not only the glory of becoming a man, but the glory of actually being turned away from the Father. Stripped physically, yes, but stripped of his glory. Stripped of his glory. For you and for me. Jesus Christ lost his glory. And of course, as he loses his glory, for us, it means that we can see his glory and know his glory, permanently. (laughs) If you look down at verse um, 24 of chapter 17, it says, Father, I want those you have given me, people who follow him, become Christians, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. In the sense that he doesn't just want us to know about his glory. You know, it's just a thing that we can know about. He, he wants us to see his glory. That's the intention of, of God and Jesus, is that he wants us to actually see it, experience it, to be in its presence. And of course, we will do that fully and finally at the, the end of time. I want them to be with me where i am he says there i want them to be as loved by you father as i am loved by you i want them to have honor with me in my kingdom forever and ever that's jesus's desire for us but only when you see jesus you see you have to go back to the story of salvation only when you see jesus stripped of his glory at the cross does the way open for you to see God's glory? That's why it has to be the only way to see the glory of God is to come through the cross to see the story of salvation. Only when you see the Father closing off Jesus' glory for your glory's sake can we receive glory. Jesus losing his glory so that we might have glory. Don't see glory in some sort of detached, cold, impersonal way, like sending in the application so somebody will stamp it and process it, and you'll get what you want and receive your request and get your benefits. See it as something much, much deeper. See it gaze by gazing into the mirror of Jesus. See him and see his story, the wonderful story of salvation, of all that he's done for us. Because that, when we do that, that's the thing that will move us. That's the thing that will change us and transform us into his likeness. Let's just end it. We're hearing 1 Corinthians 3.18 again. And we who gaze on the Lord's glory being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's something to pray for, isn't it? That's something to seek. Seeking the glory of God by gazing into Jesus through the story of his salvation. Let's pray. God, our Father, we confess that often we treat prayer like we're just sending in a transaction, just sending in requests. Father, we, we're sorry. We pray that we will want to see your glory. We pray that your spirit would so affect our hearts, that we would want and desire to gaze into Jesus and the story of salvation, that we may be transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory. We pray that you do this to us as individually, but as a church as we seek to grow. Because that's the only way we'll grow, Father, as we see Jesus and see his glory and all that he's done for us. Help us and be with us. By your spirit we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.